It's good to see everybody and uh, on this chilly fall morning. It is fall, by the way. Some of you had to remind yourself, oh, yeah, it's not summer anymore. And the tears started flowing. I understand. I got it. I got it. You're, I'm right there. But we also uh, acknowledge this time of the year is uh, one of the uh, Pennsylvania's uh, religious holiday hunting. And um, just a holiday. They get out there and... I don't know where I was. It was 30 degrees when I woke up. I don't know where anybody else was, but it was a little chilly. And uh, so uh, I don't know if you've got the heat on your house, but you will eventually, right? <laughs> Some people like it cold. I got that. But uh, anyways, what a beautiful season, right? Very beautiful time of the year. And uh, if you've ever grown apples, it's a great season for apple pie and apple crisp and apple fritters and all those things, apple dumplings and uh, uh, I don't know about anybody else, but this is a great, great time of the year, and uh, we're excited about what God's doing. And in two weeks, just can't believe it, in two weeks is going to be our celebration service and the dedication service as well over at the center. So yeah, we're cleaning and trying to make it nice. I mean, it's kind of ironic, you know, we're, we're trying to uh, clean up a construction zone, and that's, <laughs> it's, how do you do that, right? And uh, here, just put the trash over here instead of there, and uh, no, I'm just kidding. It's not like that. It's, it's good, though. And uh, a lot of things are coming together, and we're excited about it. All excited about the people coming and our friends and, and family members through Christ that are coming and excited about um, all that God has for us. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one thing when you reflect on where you were. It's another thing to say, Lord, you've got more, and you've got better days ahead of us. Amen. How many believe there's better days in Jesus? Amen. Ahead of us. Amen. And ahead of you and your family and this year and this city. I'm, I'm declaring that over this city, that there's brighter days and better days over this city, amen, and among this city. And God loves this city. He loves this city, weeps over this city, and loves the people in this city, and uh, uh, wants to see this city saved. And that's our heart. Our, our heart is His mission, and uh, that's what we want, amen? How many believe that you are the church? Come on, church is not a building that you go to, it's people, amen? You are the church. You are the called out ones, the church. You are the assembly of the upright, as the Bible says, the writer in uh, Psalm says, you are the assembly, the congregation, you are the church. And church isn't a system, it's not an institution, it's people, it's us. We are the church, we are the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the aspects and one of the things of church of the church, of us being the church, is our meetings together. And it's wonderful to meet together. The Bible says that we shouldn't forsake those things. We didn't come just for ourselves this morning. We came to give. We came to bless somebody, encourage somebody in the Lord. Make sure their walk is stronger today than it was yesterday to, to bless somebody today. Is that your heart today? All right? Amen. I came to just compliment and encourage and lift up and edify somebody else besides myself. And uh, that's what praise and worship's all about. We come to just really get encouraged, so we encourage other people. And uh, I honestly believe and really believe that we need to see a greater presentation through the church than a greater presentation in the church. I, I believe there needs to be a greater power of the of the uh, you know the presentation of the power of God, manifestation of the power of God through the church than a greater presentation in the church. You know, light shows and everything might, might be good, but I, I, they're not saving anybody these days. I, I don't know about you, but I want to see the power of God move in our streets and our homes and our families. And I want to see the, the, come on, the presentation of the church today. That's what I want to see. I want to see God do something in us and through us like never before. And I honestly believe that. And so 
You know, we come to what we call church, and we come to church, it's not just an activity in my life. It's not just where I see friends. But we are living members of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are part of this, and we are to give that we could nurture the body. That's why we are, have been gifted. You haven't been gifted so that you can sell music and so that you can sell books and so that you can have a major following on YouTube and social media, but you've been gifted so that you can make disciples. Come on. Right? That you can make disciples and that you could build the body. Amen. That's why we're here. And so I want to encourage you today to do that. And I um, heard somebody say something the other day that Christianity is not uh, a noun. Noun will turn people off. But Christianity is a verb. Amen. It's something that you're a part of and you're act- active in and you take part of. And so something I really wanted to talk about today and, and just in continuance with what God's been saying to us, I believe as a church and congregation, other people confirmed it as just really just talking about being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I want to talk to you today about the cost of discipleship. The cost of discipleship. Wow, just when you thought it was getting warm and fuzzy, now it's going to get uncomfortable. Amen. It's going to get a little uneasy here because we're going to talk about the cost of discipleship. In Luke chapter 14, Luke chapter 14, Jesus has a great, great following. The Bible says a great following, a tremendous amount of people, great crowd were following him. I'm going to start in verse 25. Let's read um, of Luke 14. So either turn or click to Luke 14. I'm going to start in verse 25. The Bible says that there went out great multitudes with Jesus, and he turned to them and he said to them, not just to his disciples, but to this great multitude, probably hundreds of people, If any man come to me and hate not his father, mother, wife, children, brethren, sisters, yea, even his own life, he cannot be my disciples. That's straight up. That's pretty real, isn't it? He said this, Whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sits down first, doesn't sit down first and count the cost? You make sure that you have enough money and enough material. You have to cover it and you have to make sure you have enough. You count the cost, whether it be sufficient to finish it. That's, that's the important thing. You have to finish it. Once you start it, you finish it. Less happily after he had laid the foundation, is not able to finish. And all that behold will mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. So likewise, whosoever of you will not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciples. Wow, that's pretty powerful. Verse 33 is what I finished up with. Jesus continues on in teaching there between 30, verse 30 and verse 33. He talked about a king going out to war. He has to count the cost. I mean, he makes sure he has enough ammunition, enough men. He has enough, come on, he has enough uh, generals and officers. And he has enough strategy that he can actually win the war. He counts the cost first. And he talked about another example. But he said that, use this one first. And he said somebody that sits down to build something, to, to start something. And Jesus made it clear that if you're going to start something, you need to finish it. And the cost of discipleship is the willingness to say, you know what, I want to pay that price. I have enough. I want to do that. And Jesus is saying a few things here. Now, let me just say this. Before Jesus gives this discourse, if you read the verses before this and the sermon, really, that he goes into, as what happened was is people began to ask questions about following him and the kingdom of God. And he began to talk to the people and told them a story about people that were invited to a big, huge supper. But one by one, the Bible says, they began to make excuses why they couldn't come. 
And so Jesus said this as he was thinking. Maybe he told that story and he, he, uh, he looked at their reaction and they were just kind of like, you know, you heard crickets and one guy coughed. <coughs> and then he said, all right. So he kept walking. And a little while later he turned around and he said, if you do not love less, more than, than anything, you've got to love me more than anything, you've got to love less, fathers and mothers. And, and that, what is he talking about? He's talking about relationships. Then he goes in, he talks about even your own life. Then he goes further and he says, you've got to carry your cross, bear your cross. And then finally, he says this, you've got to forsake everything you have and follow me or you cannot be my disciple. Very strong language. But let me just say this about this language. This discourse or this kind of uh, talk or this principle, I should say, this aspect of discipleship is, is consistent message throughout the teachings of Jesus. In fact, Paul, uh, Jesus never hid this from other people. He never said, hey, come to the party. And then when they got to the party, oh yeah, it's going to cost you everything. Right up front, Jesus said, if you do not love less relationships and things and possessions and all these other things, even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. Paul, even through his writings, never disguises this principle and this aspect of discipleship. He comes right out and says, you've got to sell out to Jesus. You've got to give all. You've got to be sold out. I don't know about you, but how many remember that song we used to sing, I surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender. Think about it. Why? Because that is the heartbeat of a disciple. That is a, a not just what they do, that's who they are. They have sold out to Jesus. They are completely sold out. They have forsaken all. They have left all. They have abandoned all. And they have given everything for the sake of following Jesus Christ. That is the cost of discipleship. And even in Matthew 16, Jesus said, it was a, kind of the text that we use for this whole series is, He said, I want you to know that if you're going to come after me, you've got to deny yourself. Carry your cross and follow me. Right up front, he tells you that. He doesn't hide it from you. He doesn't disguise it with candy apples and, and all kinds of you know, prizes and door prizes and things. He says it right up front. If you cannot forsake everything, you cannot be my disciple. Why? Because in this life, two things, in this life will test everything that you have. It will cost you everything you'll have, but it also tests you. It'll test your heart whether you love things more than Jesus. Eventually you'll be tested on whether you really want to follow him. And so right up front he wants you to know it's going to get a little rough at times. It's going to be awesome, but it's going to be a little rough. And so I want to know right up front, will you follow me and forsake all and follow me? I think that's important, don't you? Yes, I do. Why? Because salvation is about a person. It's not about outward appearances or inner peace. It's about a person. It's about Jesus. If he said, you know, if Jesus just offered inner peace, if he just offered, uh, you know, a higher level of knowledge, then he wouldn't give these kind of requirements. He wouldn't say that. He would say, just come as you feel. He would say, if you want to. He would say, I suggest to you. No, he never said that, did he? Why? Because it's not about inner peace or outward appearance. It's about following a person, Jesus Christ. Amen. Not about trying to achieve the work of salvation or achieves good enough, amen, works for salvation. It's about following salvation, living in salvation, amen, and as Jesus put it, living with salvation. And I believe that a lot of people say this about the cost of discipleship. They say, well, Brother Matt, the, the bill has been paid already for sin. The requirement was met through Jesus, so what do I owe? 
I mean, how can you say that I owe him something when he's already paid the ultimate price? But you know something you've got to realize? It's not about what you owe. It's about what Jesus says. It comes down to what he asks, what he requests, what he commands, doesn't it? And when Jesus comes to you, it doesn't say, listen, uh, if you, if you, you, know, you, you don't have to do anything. If you don't even want to follow me, you don't have to. He gives you a choice. He sees either you do or you don't. Right? He didn't say, well, you know, you can follow other gods and then follow me. Jesus makes it real clear. Listen, it, it, he, one of the things that lays it right out, I don't know what else you know, these other gods are saying, other religions are doing, but if you want to follow me, you've got to count the cost. You've got to, there's a cost involved. There is a price involved. And this is a, not the, the greatest, probably the, the, the lightest message I've ever preached, but I've got to let you know this right up front. There is a cost of discipleship. Amen. Paul even said, I don't use gimmicks when I preach the gospel. I don't trick people into believing in Jesus. I come right up front and say, this is who Jesus is. This is what it need, you need to do to be saved. Right? He, he doesn't come with a light show and, and a, a, being an illusionist and all the magic tricks and, and a strongman competition and, 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 you know, a motocross expedition. He comes right at you with the gospel and says, this is who Jesus is. And this is what it takes to be saved. That's what Paul said. Amen. And so he lets you know that Jesus lets you know that the priority in life is all about following him. That's all your priority is. It's not two or three different things. It's only one thing. And that is following Jesus. And that comes with a cost. Let's talk about the cost for a little bit. I know this is so exciting. Let's just talk about the cost for a little bit. This is some of the things that I saw through these scriptures as we're going to read. I saw these things about the cost, three things really. As Jesus talked about it, he said, forsake all, leave all, sell all. Forsake all, leave all, sell all. The very first thing that Jesus says when he even preached this message in Luke 14, even he, you read it in the verses, the very first verses, what does he say? Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The very first thing that Jesus is saying is forsake your sin. Turn from your sin. Leave your sin. Get away from your sin. That's what Jesus is saying right at the beginning. He's saying you need to forsake your sin. Forsake all your sin. How many know you've got to forsake all your sin? Not half your sin. Not part of your sin. Not just one of your sins. Jesus said all. Forsake all. Repent means to completely turn from everything and turn in one direction and go another direction. It means to come back to that place of fellowship and relationship. Yes, it does. But it also means, amen, to turn from where you were and go to where he is. As Jesus told the woman who he forgiven, that had a lot of sins, the Bible says, he forgave her all those sins. But one of the things he said is go and sin no more. Forsake this sin. You've been accused of adultery. You need to forsake this kind of sin. Boy, it's getting quiet in here, I'll tell you what. Are we to the church? Are we American Christians? What are we? We're the church. We can handle this this morning because this is in the Word. This is a principle. I'm not making something up. I'm not beating the sheep this morning. I'm just giving you the gospel. The gospel message is if any man wants to come after Jesus, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow him. Amen. It may not be the fluffy, butterfly, glittery message that some people want to hear, but it's what Jesus preached. 
And it's following Jesus. If you want to follow a religion that, that just strokes your ego and makes you a prince and a king, and it, you know you're all these diamonds and rubies and makes you the star in the center, there's religions out there to do that. But Jesus doesn't do that, does he? He says because he's the star, because he's the king, and he's the one we're following. He's the greatest, amen. And if you're going to follow him, you've got to count the cost, the cost of discipleship. You've got to forsake all. We give it up. We give our sin up. We repent of our sin. We walk away from our sin, and we go into the direction of righteousness and holiness where Jesus is going. How many know Jesus is going in that direction? Amen. I know a lot of people don't like that word, but it's true. Jesus is going in the direction of holiness and righteousness. Come on. He's not going to lead you in a place of compromise. Jesus isn't going to take you from dirt and let you go into dirt. He's going to take you from dirt into water. Amen. He's going to take you from a dirty place into a clean place. He's going to take you from darkness into light. He doesn't take you from darkness into a shadow, gray, dark. No, he takes you from darkness into light. Amen. And so that's why it's important that we forsake our sin. We abandon our sin like an old house that's been abandoned. We don't live there anymore. We've moved. Come on, somebody. How many have ever moved and you moved into a nicer place or a bigger place and you drove by every once in a while and said, well, I don't know how I made it in that place. I don't know how we raised our kids there, but we did. Come on. And that's where the Bible says we, we go by and every once in a while communion, I'll look back and say, Lord, I don't live there anymore. I'm not who I used to be. Amen. That's just a shell. That's just a memory. Now I'm new in Christ. Now I have the promises of God are yea and amen. Now I've got eternal life. Amen. Forsake all. I, I abandon it. I, I get rid of it. I, I cast it off as the Bible says. I renounce it. I forsake it. Like, like you would a, a, more than just a bad habit, I should say. More than just a, a, a bad way of life or a bad habit or, a, or a, like an addiction. It's more than that. See, because with sin, we, we view it as a poison and a disease that we can never, ever take again. Is that right? I don't know about you, but sin isn't a mistake. It's not just a little something, a, a flaw in my personality. It was a poison that was killing me. And Jesus came to heal me of this disease. He came to heal me of this poison. Amen. I don't know about you, but I don't want to go back and sniff the poison again. Taste the poison again. Oh, maybe I can just do a dose again and I'll go right back to Jesus and take some more healing. No, I don't even want to take the chance, brother. Amen. Once I receive this healing, once I would wash, once I was clean, I don't ever want to go back to that place. I've forsaken that place. I've abandoned that place. I renounce that stuff. Is that what the Bible says? Renounce the hidden things of darkness. Renounce those things. Reject those things. I don't want those things to even become near my life anymore. I'm willing to forsake my sin for Jesus Christ. Not only to say to forsake your sin, but he also gives us this. He said you need to forsake yourself. That's weird, isn't it? How do I forsake myself? What is that? That's all your desires to sin. That's all your desires to get the best for yourself. That's your desire to be worshipped. Forsake that. Get rid of it. Get, get, get that out of your life. In fact, he even goes further and he talks about your will. Your will. Forsake yourself. And even put your will on that altar before God and say, God, not my will, but your will. As Jesus was in the garden, come on, 
the night before he was crucified, what did Jesus say? It's not my will. What I want to do. He laid his will down before he laid his life down. And some of us need to come and say, Lord, you're not necessarily just causing me just to lay my life down for you. You're calling me to lay my will down for you. How many know that, that the, the will of God starts with your will dying? When your will dies, God's will is seen. God's will is, is be able to, to walk out in your life. It's your will. You've got to let yourself go. Amen in that sense. In the sense that it's no longer your understanding. It's no longer your emotions. It's no longer what you want. It's what God wants. It's not your passions. It's His passion. It's not your desires. It's, am I talking to anybody today? It's, it's about what He wants. It's His will. His will says to forgive others. Your will says get back at them. Your will says get even. Stay bitter. Hate them. Do something nasty to them. But God's will... God's will says, let it go. Don't think about it. Just, just forget they even did it to you. Just don't even try to hold it against them anymore. In fact, when you see them, smile. Come on, somebody says, man, if you, you know you've forgiven somebody when you can see them and you don't feel pain anymore. Come on, somebody, amen. But lay your life down. Lay your will down. Let it go. And, and as, as, as His will will become our will when your will dies. Wow. See, this comfort of self-reliance. There's a comfort in self-righteousness where we are gods and we are kings and I can do the best and I can do this and I can do that. How many know that's got to go? Where we say now, I can't, but He can. In my weakness, His strength is made. Come on, perfect. Amen. It's, it's not me. It's no longer I, as Paul said. You, you just don't understand. You're not getting this. He said, it's no longer I that live, but it's Christ that lives on the inside of me. Something has happened to my will, Paul said. Aren't you glad that Paul's will's changed? Because you know what his will was? To be the best and most perfect Pharisee there was on the face of the planet. And if that meant killing Christians, so be it. But all of a sudden, his will changed. He didn't want to be the best Pharisee. He wanted to be the most servant. He wanted to be the most humble. He wanted to, amen, just be dirt for Jesus. Amen. He just wanted to be so low. Amen. He didn't want to be high anymore. Come on. In fact, Jesus knocked him off his high horse. Come on. And he said, Lord, I just want to do your will. Amen. And I know a lot of Christians in that day are glad that his will changed. Because when he showed up in Antioch at the church meeting, everybody's a little nervous. You know what I'm talking about? But man, when they heard this guy speak, his will had changed. His desires had changed. His passions changed. There's something different in his voice. There's something different in what he's saying. Amen. It's no longer threatening. It's no longer scary. It's no longer fearful. Now it's full of life and full of hope. I think this guy's will has changed. And this comfort of self-reliance and this comfort of self-righteousness leaves and all of a sudden we rely on Jesus and we, we rely and depend on Him and receive Him. Amen. You know, when it comes to this ourself and forsaking ourself, I thought about something really out of my own life and that is this, the struggle is realizing how much God wants of you and then how much you think you should give. And how many know when that doesn't line up, there's a struggle. Well, I think I only should give this, and Jesus says you need to give it all. There's a struggle. There's a struggle when I read the book and it says give everything. 
forsake all, and all of a sudden I'm like, well, I only want to forsake a little. There's a little bit of a problem there. Come on, there's a little struggle on the inside. There's a little bit of a struggle when the Lord says, no, for, forgive them completely. Love them totally. Give away everything. And then I'm like, okay, well, I think I only need to give this much. Or I need to do this. Or I need to love them. How many know that's where the struggle ensues? Amen. So not only we forsake sin and forsake ourself as Jesus taught us, but also there's another element here, and that is to forsake safety. Forsake your safety. These are really what it is, what we accumulate in our life, and, and part of it is our identity. When we come to the place where we want to have an identity that's comfortable and safe for us, what we create. It's, it's a title and it's status in this life that we try to get for ourselves and try to create an image for ourselves so that we can feel safe about ourselves and feel safe about this life. Safety is also, uh, you know, in this identity where we have this, this thing where we're constantly trying to identify with something, trying to look at, uh, uh, you know, this image that we can we can create that all of a sudden, okay, now I'm safe, I'm comfortable, I like this. This is who I want to be. This is who I desire to be. This is who I aspire to be. Come on, all of us do that. But that's about, amen, to go when you meet Jesus Christ. All of a sudden he says, forget about yourself. What? Yeah, deny yourself. What do you mean? My title, my position, all the things that I've ever worked for, everything I want to be, yeah, you know, the world says you can be a star. Jesus says you can be a servant. Amen. The, the world says you can be an American idol. Jesus says you can be a world Christian. Amen. You, you, can, just, you can just be a servant. Isn't that great? Everybody's like, yay. Yay. All right. And I've said this before, but I thought about this. Who in the world would ever follow a servant? Who would do that? You know what we would do? We want to follow a celebrity. We, I mean, back in the day, they thought Jesus was greater than Caesar at one time. That's why they followed him. When they found out that he was not going to overthrow the Roman government, I don't know if I want to follow this cat anymore. This guy's talking about washing people's feet and, 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 and fasting and, and all this humble stuff. I don't know if I can handle this. Who would follow a servant? Most of the time, we want to follow a king. We want to follow a celebrity. We want to follow somebody greater, stronger, more, the richer than, more powerful than ourselves. Who would follow a servant? And yet Jesus says, follow me. And then he says, for I am meek and I am lowly. That, that takes a little bit of a change, doesn't it, in your perspective. Amen. A little bit of a change. You know why people want to follow a celebrity? Because eventually they will become a celebrity. The desire to become a celebrity is in their heart. When you follow a servant, it should be a desire to be a servant. Amen. Come on, James, Jesus' brother, wrote in James chapter 1, he said, James, the servant of Jesus. He could have said the brother of Jesus. He could have said the disciple of Jesus. He could have said uh, the closest guy. Amen. The clo you know, he's my bestie. I mean, he's the, I'm his best friend of Jesus. He didn't. He said the servant of Jesus. Because James knew the secret. He knew that the highest level, the greatest position, the greatest title in the kingdom is a servant. Oh, I thought it was prophet, bishop, deacon, so-and-so. I thought it was elder king. I thought it was bishop, lord, master. No, it's servant. It's servant. Saw this one preacher, amen, on TV. His, he called himself Dr. Elder Bishop, or whatever it was. It was Apostle Bishop. 
It doesn't matter. I mean, you can call yourselves those things, but are you a servant? Amen? Servant of Jesus. Our safety. So our safety rests in Jesus because He will never fail us. Our safety rests in Jesus because He will always take care of us. Our safety rests in Jesus because He will never fall short of any promise that He's made. Is that right? Your safety cannot rest in the government. Your safety cannot rest in money. Your safety cannot rest in things. It has to rest in something better, something stronger, something more eternal. And the only thing is Jesus. The only thing that's more eternal, amen, longer lasting, is Jesus Christ. Amen. And so I believe that our identity is not just tied uh, to an image. It's not tied to an image. Before we met Jesus, our identity was tied to an image. But after salvation, it's tied to Jesus. Wow, that's amazing, isn't it? See, forsaking all doesn't make sense until you realize who Jesus is. When you realize who Jesus is, forsaking everything totally makes sense. Come on, right? When you know that God is all you need, you realize, I mean, I don't need anything else. Jesus is all I need. And forsaking everything doesn't make sense, won't make sense, until you realize who Jesus is. I mean, think about the people in the Bible, the men that Jesus talked about, who this one man who was walking by the field, and he, he went and all of a sudden he saw this little sparkly thing, and little thing, and he dug around it and dug around it, and he found a treasure hid in this field. And the Bible says he went out and he sold everything so he could buy the treasure in the field, that field. He didn't tell anybody. He just said, well, you want to buy that old junkyard? You mean, you know, old man Jenkins junkyard? You want to buy that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm giving everything up. I'm buying it for the highest price. I mean, I'm, I'm giving everything up for this. Then Jesus told about a man who found a pearl of great price. And the Bible says he went and he sold everything he had to purchase the one pearl. How many know that one pearl was probably ten times what he had anyways? Come on. That treasure in the field was probably hundred times more than what that guy had in the first place, right? And these guys knew something that nobody else did. They knew the value of that treasure. They knew the value of that pearl. And I don't know about you, but when you realize who Jesus is, he's worth buying in. He's worth selling everything. He's worth forsaking everything that you could have him. Amen. That's what it's all about. Amen. Think about it. They knew the treasure. They knew the price first before they paid the price. And so that's what Jesus says. Realize who he is. And the second thing that forsaking, forsaking all, but then the second thing is that we see here, the cost of discipleship is leaving all. Leaving all. Jesus said, unless you love less than, less than brothers. And he named family members first. And he said, unless you love them, you've got to love them less. That's what it means. In other words, you've got to love me more than you love any other person on the face of the planet. You've got to, I've got to be the greatest love that you've ever experienced. I've got to be the closest friend that you have. I've got to have, be the most valuable relationship that you invest in. I've got to be, come on somebody. Is that what Jesus said? Jesus is saying you've got to love less. You've got to love these things and people less than you love me. You've got to love me more. And in, if you don't love me more than you love all these other people, you cannot be my disciple. I believe that Jesus teaches family values. I believe that he teaches family principles and principles on marriage. I believe it's very important to the kingdom of God, don't you? I believe that family principles are very important. But they cannot, nobody, nobody in this world can be more important than Jesus Christ. So he's saying that you've got to love 
All these people, all these relationships. And you know something? If you've come from a foreign country or maybe, and, and maybe back in the day, you understood that when it came to be a Christian, you had to say goodbye to your father, your mother, your sisters, your brother. You knew they were going to excommunicate you. You knew that they were going to kick you out of the clan. You knew that they were going to, come on, they were going to turn your name into mud. You were blacklisted. You were taken off the inheritance. You were, come on, you were cut away from your family. And many, many people in many, many countries have had, made, had to make this decision right here. That's why Jesus said it. Jesus had to say, you've got to love them less. You've got to love them less than you love me. Think about it. See, willing to sacrifice all relationships for the one relationship. That's what he's saying. It's what I call like narrow road thinking versus broad road thinking. Broad road thinking says this, that everybody is going to the same place. It's one big party. Everybody's just living their life. Just let everybody do what they want to do. That's broad road thinking. Narrow road thinking says it's just me and Jesus. <laughs> I'm, I'm responsible. I'm accountable. I'm in love. Come on, it's just me and him. My friends are going to stand before the Lord with me. My family's not going to stand before the Lord with me. I'm going to stand before the Lord one-on-one. -on -one. When it comes down to it, it's about me and Him. Is that right? You and Him. That's what it comes down to. Everything else comes out of that. Everything else flourishes out of that relationship. Everything else comes out of that centralized relationship with Jesus Christ. And so in our culture, I believe we, we, don't, we can't handle this because right now, especially a lot of people can't handle this because uh, really in our culture we've created a whole culture that's looking for likes, but they're longing for love, and they're not finding it. Think about it. Because all they want is love, 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 relationship, relationship. I mean, think if I could get people to like me, if I could get people to follow me, then I'm accepted. Listen, if you can love Jesus then you'll be okay. It doesn't matter who, how many likes you have, how many people are following you. It doesn't matter how many people like you in this world. If you're all right with God, if you're born again, that's all you need. I said that's all you need. Everybody could be against you. Your whole family could be against you. And God's love will still be in your life. Amen. God's favor on your life. Amen. Because of this principle. So anyone, Jesus said, who puts his hand to the plow and looks back, is not qualified for the kingdom of God. Wow, that's pretty intense, isn't it? We would say, hey, if you want to kind of glance back every once in a while, if you want to kind of just put the plow there and go and have fun and everything, and then, you know, and, and uh, you want to do that, yeah, yeah, you can do that. No, Jesus said, once you put your hand, once your hands lock onto that plow, you can't look back. Well, this is pretty serious, I guess, everybody. Either thinking about this or waiting for lunch. So, Everybody puts their, I mean, just think about it. That's intense. I wouldn't say that. Would you say that to people? Would you preach that kind of message? Would you actually say, look, if you don't, if, if you don't do this, then, then you can't do this. I mean, if you don't do this, it, it's just, it doesn't mean anything. If you don't do this, you really are not this. And that's what Jesus says over and over and over again. Over again. See, and, and again, this is, this is what he's talking about, leave all. And so with Jesus, you don't have to look back. That's the point. You don't need to look back. There's no reason to look back. As we talked about several months ago, the story in the Old Testament about, uh, you know, when, when Lot and his wife were going out of Sodom and Gomorrah, the Bible says, don't look back at Sodom and Gomorrah. How many know what happened when she looked back? She stayed where she was. She died where she was. Come on. He said, keep going. 
Let me deal with the sin. Let me deal with that. Let me deal with the corruption. You just go where I called you to go. You just keep your hand to the plow. You just keep, amen, busy for God. You just don't look back. That's all I'm asking you. Don't look back. And how many Christians were, oh, we're so tempted at every day. I almost look back today. I really want to look back. I wish I could look back. We look back at what we used to have. We look back at, oh man, when I was in the world, everybody loved me. I had money, I had fame, I had this. When I was in the world, I was on top of my game. Don't look back. It's not worth looking back. Amen? The only thing you look back on is the, is the way the good time. You forgot about the sleepless nights. You forgot about the depression that you were in. You forgot about that. When you really want to go back, then you've got to take on all the stuff that was going on back there. Amen. You can't just remember the good days and the great days and say, I want to go back to the great days. Without Jesus, there were no great days. There were no good days. Amen. So you've got to leave all and love, love every, everybody else less than you love Jesus and this one he says, he says, sell all. Now, quickly go through this. He said, sell all. Sell all. Now, that's, it's, it's different. In Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 10, I'm just going to paraphrase this for, like, for the purpose of time. We, we, the story, it's called the rich young ruler or Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a ruler, very, very rich. He was even part of the, the Sadducees. He was, he was one of those people that were in with the in crowd, political crowd, religious crowd. And he heard about Jesus, and he came to Jesus, and he said, Good Master, uh, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? One of the translations makes clear that he's asking about almost possessing it. What do I have to do to buy it? What do I have to do to get it? How do I get it? And immediately, Jesus goes from a status and identity and, and title and position mode and where this guy's coming from, and he all of a sudden he goes into something else, and he says, Well... What about the commandments? Have you kept the Ten Commandments? He said, well, yeah, yeah, I've, I've kept all of them. And he named off five. And he said, yeah, I've kept them ever since I was a little kid. I've kept all these things. And Jesus, the Bible says in verse 21, that Jesus loved him, looked at him, and he said, one, you're missing one thing. You're lacking one thing. You've got all these things, young man. You've done all these good works, and you've done this, and you've done that. And you've got riches, you've got this, you've got that. But you, you're missing something in your life. Really? Are you kidding me? I'm missing something? I just drove up here in, 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 a, in, a, in a, a gold you know, chariot with 22s. Are you kidding me? I got everything. And yet he said you're missing something. You, you're lacking something. And even in the book of Revelation when Jesus talked to the church of Ephesus, he said you've got all these mighty things. You've done all these things. You lack one thing. Go back to your first love. He said, you're lacking one thing, you're missing one thing. He said, sell everything you have and give to the poor. Wow, all of a sudden, this young man, it hit him right between the eyes. The reality of his life, everything came into, into focus and he realized, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. He's asking me to give up all the riches that I've worked for. He's asking me to give up all the, the fame that's come through that, the position that's come through that. Oh, my big house and the pool that I have and my, my vacation home in Rome. All these things he's asking me to give up and give to the poor who don't deserve it and I work for it. I deserve it. They don't. And he's asking me to do this. Are you kidding me? Jesus, there's got to be something else. You gotta, there's got to be another way here. No, no, maybe you didn't understand what I'm asking you. Jesus said, I understand perfectly what, I, what you're asking me, but I want to get to the heart of the issue, and that is 
the love of your possessions. The love of things. You love things more than you love God. You, yeah, you did the commandments. It doesn't mean anything if you don't have love. 1 Corinthians 13, you can have all the gifts. You can have all the wisdom. You can have all the talent and the abilities. But if you don't have love, you have nothing. It says you're missing love. And so look at the three things that Jesus addressed in a young man's life. He addressed passion. He addressed his passion. See, his passion wasn't about others. His passion was about himself. That's why the Bible says he left so depressed. Because he had to help somebody else besides himself. Wow. It was about himself, not other people. It wasn't about God. It wasn't about other people. It was about himself. That's why he left the way he did. He left discouraged. He left depressed. He left, the Bible says he left. He was so vexed. He was, are you kidding me? Because he loved himself more than he loved other people. He couldn't imagine giving to other people. He couldn't imagine giving to other people if his name wasn't going to be in the newspaper the next day. He couldn't imagine himself just giving just to give. He had to give for something else, certainly. That's how he got his riches. Wow. But real love starts in the will and it bends the emotions. His pursuit was off. Jesus dealt with his pursuit. He went at, right after his pursuit. His pursuit was after other things. These are the things that we're following, we're running after, we're devoted to. See, what you're looking at is what you will worship, and what you worship you will become. And this young man was worshiping his, his possessions. He was worshiping all the things he had, and that's what he became. See, if he wasn't worshiping those things, when Jesus said, give all, he would have said, certainly, they don't mean anything to me. But because the hold that they had on him, he couldn't give it up. See, think about it. Purpose. This is the other thing that Jesus dealt with is the purpose. And you see, when this young man's purpose, he thought, well, I want to have the purpose. I want to have a new purpose. So I'm going to go to Jesus and I'm going to talk to him about eternal life. How do I buy it? How do I get it? Can I invest in something? Do I have to? I mean, what deal is there out there? I mean, how do I get eternal life? And, and he, he began to address this purpose in his life. And I believe, believe that his purpose, amen, was about to change. Amen, when he met Jesus. And so I, I, I know that God's thoughts, his desires, his purposes, all his concepts about me and my life have to be more valuable than, than anything else. It's, it's about what God thinks and what he desires. It's about what he wants. It's his purpose. Come on. Amen. And see, his purpose needs to be driving you and keeping you alive more than anything else in this world. His purpose. His purpose. His will. Amen. Needs to be doing this. And this is what Jesus was getting at. Amen. So, you know, for some people, I, I really believe that a purpose is like a drunk junk drawer at home. You ever have a, do anybody have a junk drawer? Maybe you have, all your drawers are junk. I don't know. Maybe have, does anybody have a junk drawer? We have a junk drawer. I have a couple. And, you know, it's, it's just filled with a mixture of what you want and what you might become. I'm going to work on that. I'm going to, this is a tool for this, this is that. It's an old key in there or some, 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 paper clips in there and all this other stuff. It's a junk drawer, some old batteries and pieces of a flashlight that used to work and maybe I'll fix it someday and, 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 and maybe a belt buckle's in there. I don't know. And there's all these things, some old pens and everything. But see, this is what, what, what purpose is to a lot of people. Well, it's just, but God's purpose is a lot different than that. But God's purpose is well designed for you. It's well organized. It's already thought out. It's already planned out. God's purpose for you isn't something that you have to seek for. It's something you walk in. It's something that you already discovered when you met Jesus Christ. You met purpose. You don't just sit around and say, hmm, what do I want to be? God, what do you want me to be? No, he already has it designed. He said that when you were in your mother's womb, I had your purpose. 
So when you came out of your mother's womb and in the time that you got born again, that's when you met your purpose. Your purpose was waiting for you until you got born again. Amen? And so that's what, that's what it's like. And so we line up with his purposes. See, this is what he already thought of. And, and these are all the things that he already had. It's not a junk drawer that he has. And see, well, let's see, I got a safety pin in here and a paper clip. And yeah, I'll make it work. I'll throw something together for you. No, he already has it designed. He already has it functioning and working. It's your purpose. Amen. In this light. But see, what dilutes your purpose, the fastest, is selfish thinking. That's what dilutes purpose, is selfish thinking. When we get into this place where our purpose is foggy and your pursuit is off, you, you're just, your, your passion is way out of control. You just, this is what Jesus was dealing with as I'm finishing up here. This is what Jesus was dealing with with this young man. Notice something about Jesus in verse 21 when he said that you're missing one thing. Jesus said, or here it accounts, that Jesus loved this man. Notice something about Jesus. Notice the passion of Jesus. The pursuit of Jesus and the purpose of Jesus was about seeing this young man sold out. It wasn't necessarily about destroying his reputation, emptying his bank account that he could be humiliated. It was about his heart. Jesus was after his heart. His purpose was, I want him to worship me with all his heart. I want him to be a follower of me. I want him to give to the poor and love other people more than he loves himself. You see, his passion, his pursuit, and his purpose was greater than that young man had for himself. That's what happens when we get saved. We run into Jesus' passion, his purpose, and his pursuit for us. And that's so amazing. But he said this, one thing's missing. He said that you're missing this thing for eternal life. You've got to forsake everything. You've got to leave everything. You've got to sell everything. Why did he say sell all? I know one church that believes that literally you've got to sell everything or you're not a disciple. No, what Jesus was saying and dealing with was the thing that he loved the most. That's what Jesus. And here's the other thing I've noticed about Jesus. He always brings you to a place. Are you willing and obedient. He always asks you and tests you and brings you to that place. Are you willing to follow me? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, sure. Like Peter. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll follow you to the death. Really, Peter? Really? I mean, you're gonna, your name's going to be cursed. You're going to be cast out. You're going to be beaten. You're going to be forsaken. You're going to be persecuted. Yeah, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that. Sure, yeah. I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, 100%, man. I'm right there. You know what I'm saying? I mean, Peter was probably saying this as an afterthought, like he's on a smartphone and not paying attention to what Jesus is really saying. He's like, yeah, I'll follow you. Sure, yeah, I got it. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm there. I'm, I'm going to die with you. I'm, I'm, I'm totally in it. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm there. I'm right there. And Jesus like, he, did, he knew, right? But see, what happened was, is he tested Peter on the very thing that was holding him back. Jesus tested this young man on the very thing that was holding him back from gaining the, the kingdom of God. It was possessions. It was things. It was things of this world. And this is a lot of times he'll say, are you willing to do this? Peter, are you willing to do that? Are you willing? Oh, yeah, yeah. But he, he's asking us, are you willing to go through this? And when we say a, that eternal yes, when we say, Lord, yes, I am. I know what this is going to cost me, and I'm willing to go. Then Jesus said, we're good. We're good. We can do this. Amen. I'm putting it lightly, of course. Amen. You know, the Bible says this about possessions, and I'm going to hurry through this, and that is, it's possible to hang on too tightly and lose everything. That's what the Bible says. In Proverbs, it says it's possible to hang on to, but the liberal soul is made rich. Wow, that's amazing, isn't it? And sometimes it's not about what we have, but it's about what has us. It's about what's holding on to us. This is what Jesus was dealing with. This is the young, young man. 
His possessions were holding him back. His possessions were keeping him from eternal life. His possessions were keeping him from loving other people. Wow. And then the Lord does that, doesn't he? And, and I love this about Acts 2. The Bible says in Acts 2, the early church, that they had nothing that they considered their own. They had all things in common. And they were just selling things and giving it away and meeting needs and doing all these things. And I believe God wants us to come back to that organic giving, organic loving, and that kind of organic fellowship in the church. Amen. And he's talking about this. And see, it's hard to give up possessions when possessions are all you live for. And that's what he's dealing with in this young man. That's all he lived for. But it's easier when you're not living for just those. See, the greater the hold, the greater the struggle. Amen? The greater the struggle. And the disciple, every disciple should come to the place where they're saying this, In Christ I have nothing to lose but everything to gain. That's what God wants us to do. And the fourth thing, the last point here is quickly is perspective. So we need to view the cost of discipleship as this. Let me just say there's two things. Number one, the exchange and the reward. And I'm just going to talk about the one. Perspective. And that is view the cost of discipleship as an exchange. In other words, you give up, but God gives to you. You let go and you let grab a hold of something else. There's an exchange there. Where you actually say, Lord, I'll, I'll give up everything and I'll follow you. And Jesus said, great is your reward in heaven. Amen? And everybody's like, great, that really doesn't help me here. You know, I still need a car. Sure. And we know God's going to provide those things. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about, the things that we're living for, the things we're working for, the things we're trying to achieve in this life. Jesus said, if you let all that go, and that becomes secondary, and it doesn't become as important to you, it doesn't have a hold on you, but I become more important. And my kingdom has a hold on you. And my purpose is what you live for. Then you'll have true riches. Then you'll have a great reward. Then you'll understand what life is all about. That's the cost of discipleship. See, the cost of discipleship we look at as a very negative thing when the Bible paints it as a very beautiful, wonderful, joyful experience. It's not something that you say, okay, Lord, I'm here. I gave up everything. I'm here to follow you. The Bible says that when you do that, you'll have joy unspeakable and full of glory. You'll have so much that you can't even handle. The, bless, the windows of heaven will open and pour out a blessing. You won't even be able to contain it. You'll have it pressed down, shaken together, running over. People are going to give to you. See, the cost, that we, what we think is a cost, it, it, to us is a loss, but to God it's gain. Is that right? In fact, I love this scripture in, in Philippians chapter 3. As Paul said this in 7 and 8, he said this, But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do not count them, I count them but dung. Come on somebody, that's pretty low, isn't it? What, what's out in the field, the, the manure? That I may win Christ. So he was saying that, listen, all this stuff, all this stuff that in the kingdom or in the world that I think is important, names and titles and possessions and all these things I hold on to, it's nothing compared to what God gives me. It's nothing to what the treasures of heaven are. It's nothing to what true riches are. I mean, I, you can be, come on, you can be rich in this world and poor in spirit and in, in the salvation, poor in eternity. You can be rich in this world and not have the love of God in your life. And Jesus constantly challenges rich people. Don't let your riches stand in the way. 
Don't let them possess you. Don't let them come to the place where they're keeping you from the kingdom of God. Wow. And Paul said, all the things that I have, all the things. We don't know what Paul had. He might have had several houses, big houses. We doesn't say. He could have had s- several chariots and horses and horse farms and, and owned all these businesses all, all over Jerusalem and in Rome. He could have had, uh, you know, that 401k and Caesar's, you know, plan or whatever. I mean, he could have had all these things. We don't know. But he said, everything I have, I count it but dung. That I can win Christ. Everything is secondary. Everything. There's nothing greater than the love of Jesus Christ. Do you feel that way today? Do you feel that the cost of discipleship is beautiful and wonderful and joyful? Or is it grievous to you? Are you leaving this room today grieved like that young man was? Because his riches had a hold of him. The things of this world pulled on him so great, so much, that he could not follow Jesus. He could not give to other people. He could not get outside himself and the security of the finances that he had, the possessions that he had, the name that he made for himself. He would not leave that comfort zone and walk in the zone of joy, love, and peace. Does something got to hold on you today? Does something, is there something that you have that's kind of keeping you from walking with the Lord in this joyful, generous, and, and absolutely just as a wonderful lifestyle of following Jesus. I mean, think about it. In our text, it says Luke 14, and I'm closing. In Luke 14, we, we read this. It said that Jesus said, Whoever of you that will forsake all and, and, and all that he hath cannot be my disciple. Remember that. But then he said in this, in the very next verse, Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? For it is neither fit for the land or the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears, let him hear. He said, man, if, if you haven't counted the cost, your life is worthless. If you're not paying that price, your life doesn't mean anything. I don't care how big your ministry is. I don't care how big your church is. I don't care how much you can prophesy. If you have not counted the cost, if you have not paid that price of following Jesus and saying, Lord, I'm willing to go wherever you go, do whatever you want me to do, the Bible says you are not worthy of this. Think about it. You're not worthy of this, this, this service that Jesus is calling us into. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's stand on our feet today. And so just in closing, I want, as we kind of took communion and we examined ourselves, we have to ask ourselves this question, have I counted the cost? I mean, are, are you willing to give up some relationships? When I minister to young people, this is one of the things that I have to talk to them about. Are you willing to give up relationships? Are you willing to let that girlfriend or boyfriend go that's, not, that's holding you back and not of God? Are you willing to let all these things go? I think that's something that we really need to revisit over and over again. We need to revisit it when we're preaching the gospel. It's not about, oh, come to Jesus, he'll deliver you from drugs. Come to Jesus, he'll make you feel better. Come to Jesus, he'll give you a better life. It's, if you're going to come to Jesus, you need to forsake all, leave all, and sell all. You say, well, that, that's not going to fill up our churches in a weekend. No, but it's going to fill up the kingdom eventually. So you can pack out a gym with people, with music and lights, but can you pack out the kingdom with disciples? 
And that's what Jesus is after in this hour, in this day, and to this. It doesn't sound popular. We want to fill churches and, oh yeah, it's growing, it's growing, it's growing. But you can have a, a room full of people that are not disciples, but say they are, think they are, wish they were. You can pack out a gym full of young people and say, oh, we preached the gospel to them and all these kids came and we gave out all this thousand dollars worth of toys and games and all this stuff. But are you packing out the kingdom with disciples of Jesus Christ? You're called to be a disciple and you're called to make disciples. And I believe that in this day, in this 2019, but in 2020, I believe that we're going to come to a place as the church of Jesus Christ. We come back to that organic mission. We come back to that call that God has on our each and every one of our lives that we're called to make disciples. It's not about just coming and hearing. It's about going and telling. Somebody, come on, making disciples and letting people know that it's worth the cost. Jesus paid the ultimate price. What cost is it of, that I should give? It's nothing. Nothing. He just requires that I forsake all. That's all. <laughs> He's just asking me to leave everything. That's all. I mean, think about it. Jesus lay, paid the ultimate price that I could follow him and be his disciple. I love that. And so today I want to challenge you and ask you this question. What's missing in your life? Does Jesus come to your life and their heart today and say, oh, I love you, I really do, and I have a purpose for you, and you're doing so good, but you're missing one thing, one thing you lack. Like that church of Ephesus. You guys have all this prophecy and all these signs and wonders and all these apostles and prophets, all these great things in your church, but you're lacking the love for me, love for souls. The passion in your heart is gone. I don't know about you, but I want to ask you that question today. What's missing in your life? Are you missing that element of forsaking all, leaving all, selling all? If you are today, I want you to just come to the Lord and say, Lord, please forgive me for worshiping other things more than you. Please forgive me for loving other people more than I love you. Please forgive me for following other idols and things I've made up in my mind that I think is more important than you. Lord, there's nobody more important than you because you love me the most. You gave your life for me. And Lord, now I give my life to you. Can we pray this morning? Lord, we just thank you for your word today. Thank you, Lord, that you're calling everyone, everyone, you're inviting them, amen, to be a disciple. Everyone has that invitation. And Lord, your grace is what we see today. We see the amazing grace that reaches out, amen, and pardons us and invites us and redeems us, Lord. We thank you for that, Lord. And your grace gives us what we cannot give ourselves, what we cannot attain ourselves. And that is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you today that as we hear this message, Lord, the cost of discipleship, we, Lord, we just want to take this serious that we're willing, amen, to count the cost. We want to sit down and say, Lord, okay, wait a second. This is going to cost me everything. People aren't going to like me. They're not going to like what I have to say. I may lose friends over this. My reputation may be at stake here. I may not be rich as I want to be. But, Lord, I'm willing to give up all that for the sake of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Lord, I want to follow you today with everything within me that I can make disciples, Lord, of those who follow you wholeheartedly and sold out to your purpose. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.